Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Great episode today. Uh, Claire Bowditch is back. Man, what a brilliant person to talk to Claire Bowditch is. She just has such a huge heart and such a beautiful way of expressing, you know, human emotions, real human, often very raw emotions. There's a particular punch in the middle of this episode that I won't spoil here, but that I personally knew was coming. But for for some of you out there, particularly if you're someone who has experienced the loss of a loved one um, during this time or recently, um, it's a bit of a sucker punch in the middle of the episode. So I just wanted to give you a heads up because if you are somebody who's been going through that, I think you will actually find this discussion incredibly valuable if you have, but I wouldn't want it to come as a massive surprise to you. So I'll just give you a little quick warning about that. But this is a brilliant episode. It is always an incredible joy to catch up with Claire. She has been, you know, in the middle of the worst lockdowns in Australia in Melbourne and dealing with a whole bunch of different things at the same time. But she also has a brand new audio book that you can find on Audible. Uh, it's called Tame Your Inner Critic. It's kind of a podcast series, really, an audiobook series. I don't really know what they call them. They, they call them audi, uh, Audible Originals, I believe, and they are somewhere between audiobooks and little podcast series that Audible put together. They're actually doing some really incredibly creative stuff in the Audible space, I must say. I know a few people who've working on little projects for Audible, and they're all things that I couldn't see getting up in much other mainstream media. So Claire's one is called Tame Your Inner Critic. Her book, Your Own Kind of Girl, which I recommended last time she was on the show and I still highly recommend to people, uh, is available there, I believe, as an audio book as well. You can actually go to Audible and listen to Claire read her own memoir, Your Own Kind of Girl. Um, Or, of course, you can read it in the traditional way, wherever you read books or what device anyway i'm not going to tell you how to read i'm guessing if you listen to this podcast you probably understand the basic premise of being able to read so um thank you for listening i hope you're going to enjoy this episode with claire today uh if you are one of our patreon subscribers uh at patreon.com slash philosophy then you might be listening to this episode a day earlier than everybody else and ad-free because that is the current bonus we offer for Patreon subscribers as we try to, as our drive to five continues, that's what they call it in commercial radio, we are trying to get to $5,000 of Patreon supporters per month and what that will allow us to do as I've banged on about a lot in the intro to episodes, but maybe it's your first time here, I'll explain it to you. On Monday, we put out a brand new episode of Philosophy. That is a new episode with a new guest, someone who has never been on the show before. On Fridays, we are hoping to do regular catch-up episodes with people who have been on the show previously. So, for example, this episode with Claire falls into that category. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you get those episodes on Sunday and Thursday. And if we get to $5,000 per month, they will be regular every Monday every Friday for everybody, a new episode and a catch-up episode. This week, Claire. Next week, Charlie Pickering is going to make a return visit to the show. And then in a couple of weeks after that, Ben Lee is making a return appearance to the show. So I've got some absolute cracker catch-up episodes to come. I am not going to put them out weekly until we get to $5,000. And we're close. We're almost there. So if you've ever thought of signing up to the Patreon page, now is the time to do it. We're at about 4,700 at this stage. So we need another 
100, 150 subscribers to sign up, you know, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. And, you know, most people, I think the average is that, you know, a dollar or two a month. So if we could get, say, you know, 150 people at $2 a month average, we'll get to that 5,000 mark and we can have two episodes of this show per week. So if that is something that you like, if you enjoy today's episode, if you're a Patreon subscriber and you like getting it earlier and ad free, that is the place to go. Patreon.com slash philosophy. And the other place to go is tofop.com. All the previous episodes of philosophy are up on tofop.com, as well as all the episodes of tofop, the uh, podcast that Charlie and I've been doing for over 10 years now. My other podcast, Fofop, which is staggering back to being a weekly podcast. Uh, my plan is that it will come out weekly on a Tuesday, Fofop, but at the moment, um, it's kind of monthly or whenever I get around to doing it as I try to get all my ducks in order. But I believe uh, that our plan is going to be Mondays for philosophy, Tuesdays for Fofop, Wednesdays is when Tofop comes out. On Thursday, our AFL adjacent, you don't need to love AFL to enjoy the podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL adjacent podcast comes out. And then on Friday, these catch up episodes with previous philosophy guests. So Monday to Friday offerings all from Tofop.com. And all James Fosdyke's amazing art is up there on the website. And of course, as usual, a massive thanks to Podcast Mike for making this all work and putting it all together. I hope you really, truly enjoy this beautiful episode with Claire Bowditch. And welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, and this is how the show starts. I'm not even going to do a big intro on this one, and then he just starts talking and doing a big intro. I'm not going to. I'm just going to jump in and ask the guests who they are. So, who are you? Well, my name's Claire Bowditch. Yeah, your name is Claire Bowditch. You're a returning guest to this podcast, and I will tell you something. So honoured. Claire Bowditch. It's nice to have you back, firstly. But secondly... Thank you. Uh... So I've been, for another project that I'm working on, I've been using an AI program to feed in episodes of this podcast (gasps) into the AI and then get transcripts spit out the other end. And one of the best things, it's actually quite good. It does quite a good job of, you know, at least giving you the gist of what somebody was talking about. But what (laughs) it does tend to have difficulty with is people's names. And it is a constant source of amusement to me what the AI thinks the names of my guests are. <laughs> and I'm going to share yours with you because I think you will, oh, no. No, I think you will enjoy it. Apparently, according okay. to this AI, my last philosophy podcast was with someone called Claire Voltage. <laughs> that is great. Right? Oh, gosh, that's wonderful. That really beats all the other ones that I've had in my life. I thought it sounded pretty impressive, too. I was like, <laughs> I'd go and see Claire Voltage. Hey, guys. I'm taking that. Hey, guys, I've got to go I'm to the side it. stage and see Claire Voltage. <laughs> She's amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna change my name as soon as this as soon as I'm allowed to leave uh, and go to an office again and speak to an official. I'm changing it. Claire Voltage. Hi, I'm Claire Voltage. God, that's brilliant. It is good, isn't it? It just kind of feels like it's really smart. Your machine's smart. <laughs> <laughs> it knew what I wanted and anticipated it. Excitement. 
Uh, uh, okay, so welcome back for a start. Thank you for Thank coming you. back to do the show. Um, very, I'm very honoured. Thank you, Will. Very interested to talk to you today because it's very hard to know when we're in the middle of, you know, something that's changing the world so much as the thing we're currently in. But particularly for my friends and family who are in Melbourne, which in Australia at least is the place that has sort of had the harshest restrictions and the you know, the cruelest version of the lockdown and obviously the most, you know, COVID cases and deaths, you know, and human life sacrifice on top of all that. It's Jeez. it's tough to... True that. It's tough to... Like, there's a part of you that goes, let's just talk about other things. But I think that that's not the right thing to do. I think that the mm. only way that we're going to come out of what we're currently going through with a better understanding of who we are as human beings is to <laughs> actually examine it while we're in the middle of it. So... I'm laughing because I've realised all of a sudden that yet again, there is about 3% chance that I won't cry during this podcast because uh, I'm pretty sure I did last time. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Why skirt around it? This is the reality of what we and hundreds of thousands, nay millions of others are living through at the moment. Um, your family, my family. Speaking of family, an apology up front. You will hear three teenagers in the background yelling. Uh, they're at home school. One's in year 12 doing exams. Dogs and cats will come in and out. It won't be a perfect sound scene, but it will be real life. So that is a good place to start, really, because this is what we are now. We can't stop, you know, the kid coming in mid-interview. You can't stop the dog barking in the middle of it. Every interview that we do starts with us changing technology three times before we can make sure that it all really? works. All that, <laughs> really? All that promise or false facade of perfection mm -hmm. has just been immediately crumbled away and we are all forced mm -hmm. to suddenly reveal ourselves as the imperfect people we are in this imperfect world. And I think there's... What a relief. Well, I think there is a relief in <laughs> that. So talk to me about what's good about it before we get to what's bad about it. Well, look, um, I like you. I know you've gone through so many profound changes since the last time we spoke in this format, in the philosophy format. Um, like you, the touring life can take its toll sometimes. And there is a part of you that dreams of being not required to tour at a certain point. You, you sort of think, gosh, I wonder if I could do all of this from home. Wouldn't that be amazing? Then I can bake my bread and stay sane and not get on, you know, contribute to environmental disaster by flying, flying, flying everywhere. And, you know, all of those things that niggle in the back of the head. So one of the, and I'll talk from this position of profound privilege of being a human with, uh, I live with people who love me and I love them, live with my husband, Marty, and my three kids and said animals. Um, and we are safe and secure here in Melbourne. We have what we need to get on with the job of, you know, living through this moment in time. So for me, one of the pluses is to have time with those humans, even though I'm profoundly challenged by the amount of computer time I'm allowing my children to have, <laughs> children's, etc. And all the ways I disappoint myself, you know, I thought my sourdough would be better by now. Um, and, you know, I've really had, it hasn't been an easy time, but one of the beautiful parts about it is, A, I've been able to stay home and do as much kind of, you know, my jobs basically had to change, um, but do as much of the work that I can do from home. Um, 
So those things, you know, the fact that I have a job that we've now gone, does it work in lockdown? Well, to some degree. I don't get to be in a room with people, but I still get to create um, things in the world. That's been a nice thing to realise. <laughs> I'm going to start there because that's... I'm st- I'm sort of going, what else has there been? What else? Well, it's a simplification of life, isn't it? We we start with the positives because we know it's the shorter list. <laughs> <laughs> we get the positives oh, out God. of the way and then we get yeah. to the things. But look, there's a part of me, yeah. quite honestly, who who loves, again, like as you said, you know, to firstly acknowledge the great privilege it is to be in a situation where there can be positives out of the current world environment. And I am totally appreciative of the fact that, like, that is not everyone's experience. For a lot of people, there are absolutely no positives to currently what is going on. But for me, there's definitely some parts of it, you know, that I have suddenly thought okay well this is this is Mm. better and I actually like my life a little bit better if I'm doing this or less of this other thing that I was doing all the time I was in the middle of readjusting the Mm. way that I looked at my sort of work and life balance and what was important to me anyway Mm. so Mm. in some Mm. ways this has really artificially accelerated me having to (laughs) you know have a think about what it is I was going to do well, you, your plan was, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, my sister Lisa is, she you knows, she's a great um, connoisseur of good podcasts and she loves your podcast. And we were having a chat the other day and she was just saying how impressed she was at, you know, the sort of changes that you've made. Um, we speak about you like you're our neighbour, our neighbour Will. Oh, he's done some great self-development the last. But really you, um, you was probably quite... You were, you were heading there for a long time where you were heading to this space where you had a bit more choice in how you spent your day to day. Um, but yeah, it got thrust upon you. You seem to be thriving. I was, you know, you were very used to being very busy. I wondered how you'd, how it would be for you to slow down. Well, I've still kept myself reasonably busy, you know, but yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's probably the True. part that if you're an external observer that you might yeah. think, yeah, like yeah. maybe maybe you could have not, you know, immediately filled the gap in your schedule with a whole bunch of other things in your schedule. So that might be something that I can unpick a little later when yeah. I, you know, right. examine what compels me to constantly be doing things even when I don't have to do things. But um, Yeah, that's an interesting question. But the yep. readjustment of things that are important. So I've chosen... Yes for my starting point coming out of this because everything that I thought that I was going to be doing went away. You know, I was really going to do a whole year of live touring and I thought that was going to be the start of whatever it was that I was doing next. So I would do this year of live shows and I would get back to what it was that I really loved to do and that would then set up, you know, the next two years or three years or five years or ten years of what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And instead Mm. that not only went away for, you know, three months, six months, it looks like now probably more like 18 months, two years before I'll get to do that again in the way I imagined that was going to be. You suddenly have to think, well, what is it that I do in those 18 months? What is it that I do in those two years? And Mm -hmm. I think that there's two immediate, yeah, one instinct is just like, well, I have to do anything now. It's gone back to the point where I don't have the luxury to turn things down. I suddenly will have to do a whole bunch of things that I don't don't like to do 
in order to you know pay my bills and you know fulfill my obligations or the other one is is there a way that i could make the things that i really want to do mm. be the thing that i do so all these things that i've never had time for mm. over the years because i was mm. so busy could i get busy on those things and make them into the thing that I do. Now, I don't know if that is the case, but that is the point I've decided to start with. I've just gone, okay. It's brilliant. Well, let's try yes. to rebuild my world in a way where I'm you know, happy and productive and engaged in the things that I'm doing. Isn't that one of the most useful questions one can ask of oneself? If they get that chance to go, well, what, what do I fucking do? Like, what do I like doing? Which bits of my life make me feel alive and which bits make me feel like hiding under my doona or in a cupboard for the next five years just to avoid and sometimes that intersection I mean someone like you is quite versed in doing things that frighten you but for a lot of you know I just I've been chatting with mates on the phone and spoke to a mate yesterday who was wanting to write a book She's a really great writer and she's being forced to confront, you know, the story, that question of is she actually going to write the book? Like now there is a chance for her to do that. She's been made redundant. Uh, she's got suddenly, you know, again on the positives, she has, we have a thing called JobKeeper here in Australia, which is supporting half the nation, especially the arts industry. Will she do it or will she not? And if she doesn't, what is it that's getting in the way of that? I mean, these are profoundly important questions to ask and it's a privilege to have a life where we get to ask them it's pretty high up on Maslow's hierarchy isn't it but that is the same for for all of us you know the same set of questions if I do have the chance to like that thing that you thought you wanted the country life the quieter life whatever it was now's your time to give it a little crack everything's crumbling may as well roll with it do something radical in this time, like, oh, fuck, what I want with my life, excuse my language. And for many of us, that means living on a very different, much more frugal budget. I think frugal living is going to become the, you know, the um, cornerstone of our conversation moving forward is how do we live well <laughs> with without um, being used to that, to making regular money. Again, this is, I think, a, a question that artists are, in prime position to to help with the conversation but life has changed a lot hey so okay so talk to me about art and art's role at the moment because it strikes me that in the eyes of not only the government mm -hmm. clearly in the eyes of the government mm -hmm. you know arts and artists are very low down the list of priorities mm -hmm. when it comes to what they believe is important in a society but i've also been a little disappointed that it feels like in a public sense there is a disassociation mm -hmm. between the fact that so many people have used art as a way to mm -hmm. get through these times you mm -hmm. know consuming of you know media and art and things that people have made have actually been helpful to people in this time yet there seems to be a disassociation between the art we consume and the role of the artists in society because it feels like artists have not been necessarily valued by people like you know people feel sympathy for a whole range of people who lose their jobs but for some reason people don't seem to feel the same sympathy for artists when they lose their jobs so there's this i think there's just this enormous misnomer we we sort of underestimate 
how profoundly important art is a to our uh, humanity, to our experience as humans, but b to our economy. I mean, there's billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars that are being lost right now in touring revenue, in arts revenue, pubs, restaurants where we eat before the shows. Uh, it's being profoundly overlooked. Um, and that's because we're all in emergency mode. And when we're in emergency mode, I don't know, you know, the first thing that I go to is the arts. I go to, well, you know, what's lifting my mood at the moment? Well, music. Um uh, things that I can do with my hand, um, the consuming of other people's thoughts um, and observations and reflections, you know, um, futurists who are able to help us paint a picture for the future, uh, painters who are actually able to help us paint this moment in time. So f for me, all the things that are sustaining me beyond the usual, um, you know, even, you know, food is... Uh, if you think of, of people like Julie Ostro, who wrote a beautiful cookbook at this moment in time and her presence on Instagram and her ability to be chatting in the world, all of these things are part of our arts economy. They're part of our publishing economy. Um, and we're going to need the arts to heal our hearts and minds as we come out of what has been a profoundly traumatic time. So, look, it's got to change because... It's too much of a gap. Society's too boring. The world's too boring without its artists. So I think they'll get, you know, everyone's just been really struggling to make ends meet and to to deal with the changes is what I've noticed in my gang. But how incredibly interesting is it that, like we were saying before, it's kind of a relief to be seeing behind the scenes in people's lives. People are making themselves more vulnerable. Um than ever before. Uh, artists, you know, Sarah Wilson just wrote this great book um, about our one wild and precious life. Um, people are saying things out loud that we've all suspected for a while. So, you know, I'm still on the positives, Will. You can see I'm still trying. I think it's fucking sucks that the arts industry isn't understood for what it can do and give to Australia from a governmental funding perspective yet. But I think we will have to get there. We will have to get there because we need the arts. And this has been like an atomic bomb inside our normal ways of making art and making our living making art. Do you think that I, – it's a tough question, but – Okay, God, here you, we go. Hang on, I'm bracing. No, 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 I don't mean for you, <laughs> you specifically. I mean yeah. – I just mean I think in general this is a – hard question because I'm not really sure exactly even what I mean by it but do you think that the current Exciting. global you know crisis will intrinsically change art now I know that's a big question but it feels to me like it will I mean it already has in the ways that you've mentioned but I feel like it may yeah, we may need to have a complete societal reimagining of, as you said, the importance of art. And artists probably will need to re-examine how our art has been, you know, commercialised and used and, you know, mm -hmm. made money for a whole bunch of people who aren't the artists who make the art in the first place. Yes. I mean, the, yes, absolutely. What it looks like, I don't know. But yes, this will profoundly change how we create and consume 
art. And that's not all those changes are going to be negative. You know, maybe in some ways there was too much. In certain industries, like we look at fashion, you know, fashion is going to be, it's going to be interesting where that goes. Um, a lot of people have just called out that maybe, um, you know, there might, like I, I've got a beautiful niece who is doing fashion at the moment. She's being acutely creative with what she's already got. You know, the things that she has, refashioning, remodeling, um, not necessarily doing that usual thing of right now they would be graduating. They would be spending all of their savings to create a runway show to show potential buyers what they may or may not like. I mean, maybe that they didn't, that didn't suit everyone who, who maybe that all these things that we haven't questioned, like a festival at this time of year or a season at this time of year. Maybe they were ripe for redoing anyway, and this has given it that push. It will change everything. Um, we will, I think we're in profoundly interesting times. And at the same time, you know, what is society without art, without beauty, without questions, without, if we are, like I said, we've had to be in survival mode for a little while. And we will have to for a time yet. But there is this chance to dream pretty big at this moment in time. Um, the conversation I've been having a lot with myself and with others is around this notion of what are the stories we tell ourselves that get in the way? You know, how do we tame our inner critics? How do we get in touch with our big fat dreams and have the courage to give them a crack, right? So this is a conversation been having for a long time but in lockdown Marty and I got to hang out together that's my hubby with our mates and make you know do something that I've wanted to do for a really long time which is teach that stuff you know ha have something useful that inspires people to think ah maybe I can do that or maybe I could give that a try or so on all the all the stories that get in the way I mean that for me is probably something that I might not have had time for. I'm just one creator of many hundreds of thousands. To be able to make something like that is a pivot. It's more useful. And I think artists will, will be focused for a little while on helping themselves survive, A, by their art making, and B, asking the question they always ask because they have big hearts. You know, <laughs> how can I be useful at this moment in time? What can I offer? to this society, to these set of questions. How can I support my friends and so on? They're very important questions to be asking and they take time to ask. So maybe okay. that's this time. So education is something that I'm interested in. You talk yeah. about the idea of teaching. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm staying in the positives for a while. I'm enjoying this, <laughs> this little is quite nice. swim in the... In the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we might we might have to go out into more treacherous we waters will. at some stage, but let's you know let's dangle it, around here for a bit because right. I think this is nice. And so, education. Talk to me about because mm. last time we spoke, you actually spoke with great excitement about the idea that you had a child going into year twelve, yes. and you know what that meant for them, and you know that pivotal part of their life and yeah. their emergence into adulthood, and yeah. it is that generation of people that I feel for particularly acutely I think at the moment because we've all had something taken away from us but that is a coming into your adulthood and your own self and mm. an ending of one thing and the starting of a new thing that 
you know, a whole generation of children aren't going to get to experience in a way they've been looking forward to for years, you know, yeah. often, you know, f with fear and trepidation, but also with great excitement about, you know, what that will mean in their life. And yeah. suddenly it feels to me like a lot of that's been put on hold. So what has that been like? My girl, Asha, is 17. She is in year 12. She is a self-directed kind of a gal. And she academically is okay with the homeschooling. Um, but last night we went for our, you know, we, we just to put this in time perspective and space specific perspective, we're in Melbourne. It's the second lockdown. We're at the tippy end, the harshest end of it, um, just before things open up a little in terms of, you know, a curfew goes from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. We get two hours of exercise instead of one hour. So Asher and I are going on our walk. We've got a creek down the road, thank God, because nature and art, we'll get to nature later, um, are what's saving us. And she was just talking openly um, about the things that they will miss out on as a cohort, you know, all of the silly things that we think were, you know, the schoolies weeks that we judge and go, oh, but schoolies weeks, the sleepover before the last day of school, the running up and down, uh, you know, the local street in a costume, the speech night being seen, being seen by your peers and your cohort, being recognised for the profound transition. Year 12 is a massive transition. All of these things they will miss out on, they do miss out on, and they are patching together things in whichever way they can to try and, you know, uh, mock in the things that they will miss out on. But I think, in, interestingly, that generation, this is a particular generation with unanticipated disruption, and they will make be making art and story and meaning of this time for the rest of their lives, you know, they might be a generation of people who celebrate twice as much for the rest of their life because of what they missed out on in this moment. Um, they might recreate it next year, you know, schools might have to do two speech nights in 2021 to go back and retrospectively give a nod to the students who came through this time. Um, as a parent, what am I, you know, I've started trying to do something ceremonial, which is knit a stupid rug. It's just a rug. I'm not a good knitter. I've got one stitch in me called the blanket stitch. Even a moss stitch is too much for me. Um, but I'm knitting here uh, in Melbourne a rug in wool that Asha chose just to mark this moment because really you can hear it. It just breaks my heart that they have had to be have all this pressure on top of the already pretty enormous pressure of year 12. Then I go back to this thing of going, shit, how lucky that these kids have online learning. How lucky that the teachers give a shit. How lucky that our government supports education. So I ping pong back and forth, but I'm really having to be disciplined with when I acknowledge the stuff that's shit, just reminding myself that we will be okay. You know, that hopefully the majority of children will be okay um, and that this will be the making of them. You know, God, I was just an idiot in year 12. I look back and think they, they haven't been allowed to be idiots the way that I was. That's, is that such a loss? Mm, I wonder. Anyway, 
That's why I'm ranting, Will, because I got wool in my hands. How do you um, <laughs> speak to your children about the future in mm. the middle of a crisis? I'm very interested in this because, I mean, obviously we've had a bigger crisis going on. Yeah, climate change is a slower moving but you know, no less, you know, terrifying crisis that those kids are going to have to deal with but there is an immediate crisis that we're in the middle of how do you speak to them about you know the picture of the world the earth that the planet that they Mm. are inheriting well look this is exactly you've pinned the pinned the tail on the donkey there because they are a generation who are profoundly adept at anticipating trauma they know environmentally what they're in for what they have inherited and they already have you know been a generation who when they talk about those fears the majority of thinking people have had to say yep that's pretty valid um so where do we look you know we do that classic thing and we look for the helpers we look for the people who are speaking hopefully with possibility about the future but to be honest we don't um this is, we're almost like in a holding pattern. We're in the middle of the storm. We're actually in the crisis here in Melbourne at the moment. And we keep our days, We I keep my focus. I try and keep my kids' focus short. So we're here in this particular day, hour, week, and so on. And very, very long. So where do you want to be in 20 years kind of stuff. But the middle feels tricky at the moment because... We can't anticipate how this particular chapter is going to end. Um, so I concentrate, as always, I do that. I, I try and do myself and teach them as well. You know, in between, like our day is just pretty messy and chaotic and, you know, fun and silly and everyone's annoyed at each other half the time we've been living to on top of each other for months. But when those moments do arise... I talk about what are the things we can control and the things we can't. And I come back to my same old shtick, which is I cannot control when the pandemic ends, why it was here, the weather, um, the death of loved ones, uh, all of those massive things, or even, you know, whether the train comes on time. I can't control that first fear story. So what can I control at the moment? Well, the second one, the one that says, you know what, I don't know how this will end, but it's probably going to be okay. Or, you know, oh, well, I don't get to do that now, but I get to do this instead. So reframing, reframing, reframing. I don't know, I don't know if it's working, but that's what I'm trying to do. Just keep them focused on that practical, all right, what's the thing that I can change? And even though it feels almost impossible to change our feelings at the moment, our thoughts are the largely the creator of our feelings um so whose thoughts am I listening to what am I consuming you know am I bringing in any beauty joy light kindness simplicity fun into the the day-to-day that's all I can really do at this moment in time how much does you've you've touched on something very interesting there to to me at the the very least and it's my (laughs) podcast so that's the to be honest the thing that matters the most great um (laughs) no is the idea of you know, sometimes we hear this story around, you know, food and exercise and all these sort of things is like, you know, yes. what you take in, you know, it becomes, you know, what you are. Yes. We don't have that conversation so much around what we consume in a sort of 
you know, in a sense of information or, you know, mm. uh, other things that we're taking in intellectually. Like mm. how much of an influence does that have and can you genuinely, you know, demonstrably understand that you are a different person if you're taking in different information? Does it affect you in that way? Oh, profoundly so. You know, if I'm reading, I consume a lot more news these days than I did when I worked on radio. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just the way it is. Maybe my tolerance for it has 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 in, in, increased. I'm not sure. Um, but you know that if you're reading thoughtful writers who have cared to give a balanced view or an, you know a, a factual based view and managed to throw in some poetry in there, you know how you feel at the end of that article as opposed to the doom and gloom and cortisol triggering, clickbaiting um, uh, roster of rotating stories that, that are on many of the advertising-based um, news networks. Now, I understand why they do that, why they have to do that, but it is so profoundly... <sighs> It makes us smaller and less as humans. And what we are longing for at the moment, we see this in the disruption of our times and in the honest conversations that are happening about our, in our times. We want more. We want to live full lives. We want, to be, we want things to be fair and seen and heard. And we, you know, if, it's really important to allow that to be a possibility in our mind. Whenever I read too much shit newspaper stories or or things that have no real depth or interest, you know, I get distracted, that's for sure. It's like candy and I could definitely get in there, but I never feel better at the end of it, never. Um, and so this is, you know, I've, I don't know if you've done this. Many people have said one of the few industries that's really thriving this moment in time is books. People are returning to books. Um, long form thoughts and I think we nourishing our brains in that way is a better alternative to me than what my brain naturally does which is say work help you know oh, the world's ending you know? so having some playfulness cajoling ourselves and reading stuff that is beautifying and enlightening um, or just amusing is is not a bad thing to be doing what do you think is the biggest myth about society? Oh, God. I love the way you ask questions. It's like the voice of God saying, what do you think? I don't fucking know. I'm sitting here with it's, a ball I of mean, wool. Also, I don't but expect I, you to have the answers. I just love wanna, it. I just want to hear love what it. you think. But I love it. It feels like. What do you think? It's really nice when someone gives a shit about what you think. It's really nice feeling, so thank you. Uh, I think that a lot of the myths uh, about our society immediately crumbled. Things that we had been told were important and vital yes. and the way that things were yes. were immediately revealed to be, you know, uh, the emperor, the, wiz the wizard of Oz, he's, you know, right? That's and right. Yeah. Pants down. Pants down. Just a small man behind That's a screen. That's what a lot of it feels like. What what don't you want to take back? 
Like what would oh, you pre- like out of this world when we reemerge into what we become after this? There's going to be a lot of competing mm. interests. There's going to be the let's get back to normal, you know, push, which is the let's return to how things were before this without re-examining any of those things and whether they were good for us or bad for us. There will be an opportunity for those who don't believe we should immediately return to exactly how things were to yeah. help reshape whatever it is that comes afterwards so what do you hope that we don't take back i am adoring and appreciating the rebellious thoughtful honesty that and vulnerability and kindness that's popped up in this time um i didn't have as good relationships with my immediate neighbours before as I do now. I really like them, uh, but I didn't see them the way I see them now. I hope that seeing of each other um, stays, that care for each other stays, and that I like I like that um, overall people have been less selfish, not more selfish during this time. I really like that. They're the small things. I don't know if they get reported in the newspapers, but... And I, I, I'm going to speak from a particular perspective because, of course, there's something I have not wanted to say aloud um, about this time. But I lost my mum. You know, my beautiful mum died during COVID. And for me, so my perspective might be different from others, but for me, um, the hell of having her locked in a hospital and not able to visit her, then the profound privilege of finding a way to get her home and being able to care for her at home with my sisters and my brother and then the kindness that people have shown us around that as really it's just been total emotional decimation um has been has given me a I'm a little protected from a lot of what's going on because my house is full of meals and flowers. <laughs> still, it's been a month now since we lost mum and I can still feel her with me and I know that that gets harder and harder as time goes on with grief. But um, it's been very beautiful the way that despite social distancing, not being able to see each other, um, our community have tried to take care of us and take care of each other and it's not just people who's whose relatives passed away, the way that's been happening. I've been seeing that all around me. I live near a park and I watch the way people are with each other. These are really hard times. We can't see each other's faces. We don't know what each other are feeling. Our whole way of judging each other um, has changed. You know, we're taking guesses, but my guess is humans are pretty good. Humans are pretty good. And it really matters that if you're around humans where you don't have that feeling that you find some other humans to hang out with because there are many good people in this world. And my mum was one of them and I really miss her, Will, and you know that. I know that you, you've you had losses too during this time. Um, it's just going to take a long time to process, but as I'm processing it, the world is kind of mirroring that, you know, weirdness and and that's, you know, that's oddly comforting, um, oddly comforting because we're all pacing each other equally. The whole world's going through a grief right now. Incredibly, like, 
difficult, uh, you know, thing to go through in any time, particularly in the time that we're currently going through. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, we've, we've spoken about this, but um, off air <laughs> in real life. Uh, but it, it is, you know, my grandmother died during this time and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, someone that I grew up with, you know, as an immediate member of our family, but but more so the fact that I just haven't seen my mum since then. And, you know, it was mm-hmm. her mum who died and and I haven't mm-hmm. got to, you know, hug my mum and, and tell her that I'm sorry that her mum died, you know, and I mm-hmm. it may still be months before I get to, you know, see any of my family. And this was, you know, it w- this was six months ago now, you know, really, that yeah. it happened. And it, yeah. it is a, an awful disconnect. But I was very pleased to hear that you know you were able to actually you know be there and spend time with your mum and your family what was that without wanting to intrude onto you know obviously Mm -hmm. personal stuff but i brought it up blame me well you know i mean i we assumed it would come up at some (laughs) stage i think we did a good we did we did a good job for 30 minutes of you know dancing around some positive positivity before we got to inevitably where this was going to go can i actually ask this firstly your mother as you talk Mm. about in your book you know relied very uh, much on you know a religious view of the world was religious religion comforting to her at the end my mum was a funny was so funny even just saying that a really funny quirky little dutch lady who was a mad keen catholic and had a passion for jesus like a you know like a love affair kind of a thing it was enormously comforting to her um one of the few things that so my mum died of pancreatic cancer which is known as it's the one that you don't want because by the time you pick it up, you've probably got not much time. And the way it takes you out is pretty rough. So she really suffered. And she was very brave in that suffering. Um, one of the things that steadied her, yes, right to the end, were all of that... You know, it was the rosary around her and I'm, pre- you know, I'm pretty shit at the rosary. I haven't really, I was brought up really, really Catholic. And um, you were just, you know, to have these routines and ways of doing things that did bring her a lot of comfort and give her some frameworks within which to live the end of her life in the way that she did still making friends in the hospital, you know, still trying to save us from having to go through, you know, still worried about us as as a mother always is. But it was hard for her to agree to come home because she knew what we were in for. Um, She wanted to protect us from that and that wasn't possible because the choice was either stay in palliative care and don't see anyone until possibly the last 24 hours of your life, which is not a great time to have chats, and or come home. For us, it was an enormous privilege to have her at home. But there's nothing, there's a point in any death journey where there is nothing that can bring any comfort anymore, really, um, or very few things. What comforted my mum was seeing us together, um, 
being able to care for her and having that privilege of an exemption that allowed us us kids to be there and to have nurses in to help and prayer you know and but at the end who the hell knew I mean who knew whether she could hear us or whether that was making any difference but the fact that we knew when has something to do which we knew through her life had been comforting was pretty bloody profound um she didn't want music or other things she just it all became very very simple and um I, you know, I can see now in this space of grief how handy faith is. I wish I had her level of faith um, because I think it's a really bloody handy thing to have. But what I'm relying on is those things that mum found beautiful, you know, those, those things are giving me comfort. Music, flowers... Um, beauty, uh, little tiny things. That's how she really stayed sane, religion and a love of little tiny things. <laughs> so, you know, look, I haven't, um, yeah, I, I'm still, yeah, as you can hear in my voice, I'm still in such early stages of just getting my head around it. Like I wish I knew what she always knew. She seemed to know where my sister was and where my dad was. They'd both passed away. Her faith gave her... You know, and, and, and I gave her a feeling that all was well. And um, I think that's what I say when I think, ah, it must be really handy to have that faith. But I'm just in a spot where I'm thinking, shit, I can't call her. I want to call her. I want to share this thing with her. And she's not here to do that. So where the hell is she? And then you can spiral pretty quickly with that set of thoughts. So instead I knit, I knit my blanket. I'm going to knit for, I mean, this blanket's going to be the size of Fitzroy by the time I'm finished. I'll tell you the, what. The thing that I, um, that catches me out with my grandmother is that I feel like I didn't have that final proper yeah. conversation with her. I just would have loved to have one when she started to get sick, it was at the start of the virus, like literally at the start of it where we were told, you know, the worst thing you could do is mm. you know, visit older people during this time. And I had a bit of a cold post the Adelaide fringe and, it, you know, so I was just sort of staying inside and, you know, and then she she was basically then in hospital and we weren't able to visit her and then yeah. I was across the state border and we weren't allowed to go back anymore. And so all that happened so quickly that in between the time that she got sick and then the time that she and look she was you know she was 96 years old you know 97 years old she had a mm. good a very good run you know a, a, a full life and I got to spend a disproportionate amount of time with her <laughs> over my life compared to what most people do with their grandparents so but I do feel like I just didn't get that last conversation did you have time to have those like you know, to say anything that was left unsaid? Oh, God, my heart. Um, that's one of the hardest things, isn't it, that we, that we don't get to be with our people in the way that we hoped and there's no second chance, you know, that that... Um, and I didn't get to have 
my mum, by the time she was home, she also went in well in March into hospital and she was in there right until, um, you know, late July when we took her home. Um, and we had that, that um, privilege of being able to visit for an hour a day in turns and I kept hoping, you know, that, I mean, she was weakened. You don't want to further weaken someone by saying all of your things that are on your heart or mind or asking all the, you know, do you remember this? And I'm sorry for that. And oh God. Um, so, you know, in all the ways that I could, I had imagined I'd be able to comfort her with music and so on, everything, she was too sensitive really for, for that. She was in a very contemplative and quiet place. Um, so it wasn't really until the very, very end that I was, you know, uh, the three times that I did try to arc up a little bit, you know, we had this terrifically difficult situation that many families had where there was an operation that needed to be had in order to extend her life and it kept getting cancelled and cancelled and cancelled because COVID had hit and surgeries were now makeshift surgeries in major hospitals on a curfew for operating and even though she was very close to death then someone else was a bit closer and they you know so it just went on for a couple of weeks and it was acutely distressing um and at a certain point you know you're 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 doing your thing where you're supporting each other and you're thinking other people have got it worse and all those things that mum would always say but I did one day I just cracked the shits I tried every contact, phone number, begging, everything I could to try and advocate, please, can someone, you know, give my mum this operation? Our whole family, everyone we knew, we were all trying to um, do something and nothing was, no one was able to help, not through lack of wanting to help, but it was just a profoundly difficult situation. And I said to her, God, I can't stand this. And she said to me, if I can stand it, you will have to stand it too. If I can stand it, you can stand it. And I went, fucking, yep, sorry, mum, you're right. I'll shut up now. And it was really like that. She wouldn't have it. She wouldn't have any pity. She wouldn't have any poor me. She wouldn't have any special treatment. She wouldn't have any, um, any anything like that. She just kept trying to the end to connect with the nurse who would be in there or the human who was in there. And that is what impressed me very much about her, that she didn't, you know, I I don't know, she just, um, she didn't turn into an asshole in the last bit. But did I get that chance to say all the things I wanted to say? No way, never will. Um, but I gave it a crack. I was in the room with her. I said sorry for a few things. And again, she just sort of dismissed them. These things were no big deal to her. So I reckon what's going to happen, Will, for people like you and I and every everyone who's suffered a, a loss during this time is we haven't had the usual funeral. We haven't had the usual wake. We haven't had the usual burial. You know, my mum's burial, the people who ran the cemetery were freaking out, you know, telling us to no swapping there are only 10 people around the the like it was really traumatic to be having that kind of stress at what is you know a, a chance to say goodbye none of it went right um, and all of it went right too at the same time I mean one of the sneaky things not sneaky but 
Although you can only have 10 people at a funeral, you could have as many people as you needed to run the religious service. Now, my mother, friend to all priests, nuns, and um, <laughs> so on, there were five priests saying her service. You know, like it was, she had a holy burial that she would have wanted and a holy goodbye. And in the end, what else mattered? Like what we wanted or was kind of irrelevant by that point. We were just, we're all just making the best that we can with what we've got. So what I wanted to say was we will keep doing that. You know, our art for some of us is a place where we can put the complication and make sense of it. We'll be doing that for decades to try and make sense of the losses that we've had during COVID. We have to, we have to do makeshifts because none of it was bloody perfect. None of it was hallmark. Is there... You know, something that's come up a lot in this conversation uh, is this idea that there are people who are in a worse position. Um, And I think that's a a very important thing to always remind ourselves of. But how do we balance Mm. self-care? Because, like, if something bad is happening to you, it doesn't Mm. make it any less bad just because something worse is happening to somebody else see i think it's a really hard it's a great point but it's a really handy technique to get through a day or a moment sometimes moments are so incredibly unbearable and difficult that we need a quick framework to actually be able to survive that moment and to be able to say my suffering means something and feel that 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 is one useful way out and to be able to say someone else is suffering more and dismiss it a little bit that's another way out but you are absolutely right we must come back to ourselves and say I see what you've gone through I know what you've gone through it matters what you've gone through your feelings are legitimate they will pass and to be able to speak to ourselves with that inner champion voice which you know if we're lucky, it murks in there. If not, we've got to sort of find ways to cajole it, to remember that there is that hope in us with always. I mean, that's how we get through these moments. So we, you're right, we can't abandon ourselves on the side of the road because someone else is suffering more. What are you most likely to stay silent about that you should be saying out loud? What? Oh, what, oh wow, yeah. What am I most likely to be silent about? that I should be saying out loud. It's very difficult to ask, I've noticed this lately, it's very difficult to ask for what you truly need because it often doesn't look like other people's expectations of you. Um, And I think that, you know, if I'm guilty of not having spoken out loud, at times in my life it's always because I didn't want to hurt someone's feelings or I didn't want to, you know. So I think that's the most difficult stuff, that thing of, for me anyway, how do you really tell the truth in a way that, you know, isn't that codependent truth where I'm not happy if you're not happy, so we're not happy. It doesn't really lead anywhere. So it's still that's still my challenge. Um, how about you? 
I know this is, the, I mean, really, how about you? What is the thing that you're... You're a, you're a good how about you guest on this it's podcast. Not even, but it's not even are. a how about you. It's just like I've just stripped mm. myself bare and stood naked in front of you. Um, mm. I'm genuinely curious, like, what do you feel that you should say out loud that you don't? I, I, so many things, I think, is really the answer to this. And I'm probably... Just one will do. <laughs> uh, I think that, uh, and this is something that we've touched on a little just leading into this, but the idea of... I'll, I'll give you okay. a little example. So the other day, uh, so Gruen's coming back, so which is great. I'm very happy that the show's coming back. A lot of people, you know, depend on that show to, you know, pay their bills. It'll be a very different show to what we traditionally do. You know, no audience and, you know, guests in different, you know, states and in different studios. And it's going to be a complete reimagining of what it is that we've done for 12 mm. years. And that'll come with some challenges, but it'll also come with some, I think, you know, we're going to learn a lot about what it mm. is that we do. And, and we're being forced to learn about something that we've been doing for over a decade that we think we mostly understand oh, we're yeah. suddenly in an environment where we're going to have to do mm. it differently so i'm quite excited by that challenge even though some of it will be uh, difficult not to mention but the challenge was, the on. challenge of the new questions that you're asking about an industry that's profoundly changed in the last six months well that to me is the most interesting thing i mean because i always talk about the show to our team as being you know we we explain we, you know, if advertising is the poetry of capitalism, which it is, you know, then we try to explain the world using, you know, the prism, the view of advertising and marketing. What does what we spend our money on, you know, how we're advertised to say about us as human beings? And of course, the entire world has changed and we have a program where the industry we talk about has changed, the messages that we're getting are changed. There's going to be some really fascinating things that I think we're going to learn about the world by doing our show. So I'm excited about that. So all that's good. But just as a, so there was a little announcement video online and uh, I just retweeted the ABC's little announcement video by saying, um, yeah, something like, hi, mum, I've got a job again, <laughs> or yeah, good news, mum, I've got a job mm -hmm. again. And, it's based on a, a, a real truth, you know. Mm. It's a bit of a self-deprecating line, you know, the idea that, you know, my mum feared for the last 25 years I was going to end up a middle-aged, unemployed stand-up comedian. And it turns <laughs> out I ended up a middle-aged, unemployed stand-up comedian. It was less my fault than they imagined yeah. it was going to be, but it turned out that it was still the truth. And, you know, I understand, as we've said. In, and So somebody, most people received it as the joke it was. But there was one person who was kind of like, oh, I was the joke here that you're rich, so it doesn't matter. And I, I certainly didn't get angry at that person because I understand that. Like, I mean, in a, in a global mm. sense, that's true. You know, like, I, you know, I have done well out of my job and I'm in a much better position to get through these times than a lot of people are. So there's a truth mm -hmm. to what he's saying. It wasn't the intention mm -hmm. of my joke, but most of the time I will be self-deprecating about whatever it is that I am actually mm. going through because I understand that A, I've lived a pretty privileged life and B, that I guess that there are people doing it worse than mm. you are doing it. So I think there's, and I guess that's why I've come back to that point a couple of mm. times with you today, is I think that there is a dark mm. side to that. And the dark side to that is that we can sometimes not talk about 
what mm. we're going through and present these, you know, perfect versions of our lives to other mm. people. And I don't think that that's mm. very helpful. Mm. I think it's okay to say someone is going through something that's much worse than this, but here's what I'm struggling with mm. at the moment. Here are the things that I am finding incredibly difficult. And, you know, maybe I, I talk about those things a little bit more on this show now and a little bit more publicly, but I think still, you know, most of the time it's the diminishment of how difficult the struggle is day mm. to day. I don't know. I've got no fucking idea. Like, and, you know, I sometimes present as this person who is like well okay i was doing mm. this but now i'm mm. going to do this and i'm going to reimagine this and look at me i'm like you know i've got all these podcasts mm. coming out i must be in control of what's going on i've got no fucking idea mm. what's going on mm. i'm terrified i don't know if the job that i've done for 25 years of my life will ever come back i don't know what it is that i will say when it does come back because what the fuck do we talk about when we come back the whole relationship has changed you know yeah my industry you know is going through a massive change like i look at people who you know are 20 years old starting their comedy journey who like like those kids coming out of year 12 have had to put on hold you know their aspirations and their career advancements maybe the fact that the industry won't even fucking be there for them when it comes back those small rooms that they relied on mm. to hone their craft might be the ones that the pub can't afford to keep going anymore mm. in this you know new world that we're going to go back into like the thing that i have loved and relied on for so long has crumbled in front of me and not only do i not know what that industry is going to look like but i don't know what my place in that industry is going to look like and that scares mm. the shit out of me like most days i you know like i i try to think of those who are you know in a situation where it's much harder than my situation but if i'm being completely honest with you there's not a day during this like there's not a i've every day i've i think i've had the thought maybe i could just stop doing this maybe this could be that i often read about those people who they're in a train accident and they use that opportunity to just walk away from their previous life and <laughs> Sorry, start a new life under a new identity and great plot. like i i think that every single day of this crisis i've at least once had the thought maybe i could mm -hmm. just stop this maybe all this like all of it the podcast stand up television maybe i should maybe i would just actually be happier if i did not do any of this mm -hmm. anymore and i just went and got like a job and for the rest of my life i could just have like a job i could work in a shop and you know just be happy you know and and that's a like anyway. That's a very well, no, long answer to your question. Well, you've spoken to so many things there. You've sort of nodded to no. there is in some way this sort of carried pressure that we have been part of this arts industry for a long time, and we know somewhere within us that we're expected to show some leadership at a certain point, and at the same point, leadership just meaning we, we you know we show up I mean why do we keep showing up why do you keep showing up you know we feel there's this symbiosis between um, our love for our audience and our need for our audience I mean I dare say you in a shop uh, you in a shop you would be one of the best shop conversationalists uh that lived on the coast i mean you know it would be great for the five audience members who were there with you uh <laughs> i'm not sure that's true i think i might be done 
I think I'd just yeah. be like one no. of those real quiet no. people. Like I might just have like a little bookshop or something. <laughs> like where you, like I, I imagine myself like Dylan Moran's character yeah, yeah, in yeah. black books. Just like I have a bookshop where I'm resentful of the fact that anyone actually comes into well, my bookshop. Maybe try it. I mean, we, we sort of had this chat last time, but just try that. Like I would love to see mm. you try to not do things <laughs> for three months even. <laughs> Um, because that would be a really fucking interesting experience. Like, get someone to make a movie of it, not you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because in a way, this busyness keeps, gives us something to do, gives us a sense of control, a sense of purpose as well, um, and that's really necessary. But stepping past, you know, this is the one of the reasons we got to chat today was about this this conversation this podcast this audio book that money and i and our friends have made about tame your inner critic how to tame your inner critic and we wanted to do something different because so much self-development self-help is so dreadfully cheesy and simplistic and some of it's really great but we wanted to do something completely different something that was amusing and funny and a bit weird and wacky but very very practical with five steps about how you can tame your inner critic so this fear that you're feeling at the moment is something I've been reflecting on quite a lot and it seems to me that it is always loudest just before something exciting happens it's terrifying to know what's coming next Gruen's going to be better than ever but you don't know that yet you know it's going to have to be because otherwise it's going to become irrelevant and you are not really wired to allow a thing like that to happen you know, that team and your crew, you work hard to make it a new thing. That's exciting. You know, the, but just on the point before something exciting happens or some dream, little dream or disruption, you know, before we get to the other side of that, that voice of fear is really, really loud. And I just want to ask you as, a, as an anthropologist, so what do you tell yourself? Is this, you know, I might not have to do it. Is that part of you? conjuring the courage to do what you got to do which is uncomfortable or how you know how do you do it I mean in the music industry sometimes you just there's a tradition of having a drink and getting on stage it's like how do you tame your inner critic how do you get out and do it anyway I mean I I don't know <laughs> is the answer to that question honestly I don't know I feel like I have such a weird relationship with like my brain in that it will tell me all the reasons very logical reasons why i shouldn't be doing something and then i'll just do it anyway See, I, yeah and i reckon that's just perfect because that's your lower brain giving you that energy and cortisol to go and do it and your higher brain saying you know that energy that m might freak some people out give them a panic attack and they never you never get on stage again your brain's found a way to go ah energy let's go it's really interesting <laughs> i mean i guess but i don't anyway like this isn't this podcast isn't about it me. is actually In fact, philosophy like, yeah i know it it's, should it's be. mostly about me that's that <laughs> should be. <laughs> it's, it's me with some <laughs> some occasional guests that's what it is i love i've loved having um, this uh, this is yes this has been great for me will i just want to say that because i know we're getting to that special time where we have to wind things yes, up but yeah. um i really enjoy our chats and i forget as we're chatting that people will be listening and i hope um that something that we've said is you know gives them a sense of 
um, company during this time because I think we feel really a bit lonely at this time. It's chatting with you under the guise of work, um, <laughs> but being able to have this chat, it mean, it's precious to me. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, you know, obviously we, we were able to talk about whatever you wanted to talk about just for the, <laughs> the sake of that. But um, no, I look, I appreciate, you know, you shared something you know, pretty intimate with us today. And, you know, I hope that, you know, I tread sensitively around, you know, what we couldn't, couldn't talk about. But um, I didn't get time last time to ask you a question that I regularly ask people. So I'm going to finish Great. with that today. Which is this, I have a magic wand and the capacity to give you any ability in the world. You don't have to do your 10,000 hours to get good at it. You are just immediately good at it. You are talented at this thing. It can be any skill in the entire world. What would that skill be? All right, be? so this is going to sound simplistic and a bit selfish because there's all sorts of wonderful philanthropic and... Uh, and so on skills that I could develop. But if it were just for me, just at this moment in time, yes. um, the skill that I'd like to have is that of being a world champion triathlete. I mm. have never felt more like running, swimming, jumping, flying in my life. I just, uh, even just a ma even just look, an ultra marathon runner would be fine, a kind of female rich role. There, I mean, there are many ultra, like my friend Kemi, Kemi Nekvapil, she's extraordinary. She decides that she's going to go for a run and, you know, she trains and then a month later she's, she's run 250,000 miles, whatever, you know. That's what I'd love at the moment. I don't have that. My, ability, my, my, my body is weak. I'm full of kumushbeck, you know, grief bacon, they call it. I've just been eating licorice the last six months, Dutch licorice. You know, you eat foods when you, when you love someone, you miss them, you, you, you eat the food. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty not running at the moment. My back isn't letting me run at the moment. But that's what I love, just the magic ability to run and run because I think when we run, I know I'm think, sounding like Forrest Gump here, but when we run, we can, we think new thoughts. You know, even just hiking would be fine. I've given you three answers there. Triathlon, ultramarathon runner or hiking, just moving my body. That would be my desire at the moment. And in lockdown with the body I've got at this moment in time, these things are a challenge. But do you think I should, do you think I should maybe give that a crack? Because that's actually something I could do, unlike flying or invisibility cloak or so on. I mean, you actually have just come up with something that you don't need a magic wand for. That's the, that's like, I feel like I, I do. I, I, I feel like I do. Um, but, yeah. Well, thank you so much for this today. Uh, let's plug the podcast one more time. I obviously do a proper plug at the top. But tell people, you know, what it's called and where they can find it. Oh, Tame Your Inner Critic is an Audible original. It's with Dr. Charlotte Keating, who's a psychologist I love, uh, recorded by Marty Brown with a new musical soundtrack. And there's this great actor in there called Jay Mueller who plays the voice of Big Guy, our inner champion. So it's fun, it's playful, it's free for Audible members, or I think it's about 15 bucks if you're not an Audible member. But if I were you, I'd just go and get the free audio book and see what I thought. Have fun with it. And thank you for... Um, for letting me be here. I really hope it's useful. Well done. Thank you. Voila. Voila.